Hey everyone, welcome to the Pack Animal Podcast, where we perceive life through the eyes of a canine. I'm your host, Animal Behavior Specialist David Curlander. Today's episode, I would like to share a lecture that I did recently at the Chatham Public Library in beautiful Chatham, New York. It was an absolute wonderful time and had an amazing turnout. I tried my best to record at the best quality, but the room was rather large, um, so please bear with me when it comes to the uh, sound, but I think it actually turned out pretty good. Um, and uh, also, thank you for those who came out to join me that day, and I hope you all, all my listeners, enjoy it as well. <laughs> okay, I don't think I need the mic then. Should I use it as a recording? Or? It, it, does, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think we need it, really. Okay. Um, hi. Welcome, everybody. I am a member of the Chatham um, Friends of the Library, and there are other board members here. Can I ask you to just stand and give your name, the board members? Rebecca Greer, and Damaris Buckwick, and I guess that's all the members we have here, and I'm Sharifa Perry. So welcome. Um, we appreciate you coming out to hear our excellent speaker today. I will tell you, I won't give you any of his background, I'll tell you more, uh, an interesting story about how I met him. So I had taken my dog to the vet, and uh, he had stopped by the vet because he was new to the community and wanted to meet the local vet. And um, <coughs> so I'm eavesdropping. And so I finally went over to him and I said, you work behaviorally with dogs? And he said, yes. And I said, my dog is here. I'd love for you to see him. He was still in the back getting his nails cut or something. So, um, so they bring uh, Toka out and Toka's pulling them. And I take the leash and Toka's pulling me. And I said, this is the behavior I need you to help me with. And it, it was just, it was the kind of start that, you know, we just connected right away. So he walked Toka to the car for me. He was pulling him, but he was holding him. Toka has pulled me down, so I knew I needed help. But uh, that's how we met. And we started, um, you know, he started coming to the house, uh, I think it was like once every two weeks or so, and gave me things to work on with Toka that, and I'm a dog trainer. I know how to train dogs, but dealing with behavioral issues is a whole different thing. And I've learned a lot from David. And I said, you know, I think you can be helpful to other people. So here he is, David Kurlander, and Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so I'm just going to look down at a couple notes that I wrote just to hit a few key points here, just because the topic is so massive that, um, you know, only having 45 minutes to an hour, I could barely scratch the surface of when it comes to behavior. Um, so, uh, my name is David Krellander. I'm an animal behavior specialist and wild animal researcher. Um, I've worked with over 100,000 dogs in my 25 years of working with uh, domestic dogs. Um, and uh, my background also includes being a wild animal keeper for the Wildlife Conservation Society. I was a zookeeper at the Bronx Zoo for many years, and I worked with their uh, 10,000 plus uh, collection there. So our, um, you know, one of my specialties at the zoo, my focus, we all had like kind of a charge, uh, was to focus on animal behavior and to focus on uh, developing enrichment programs for, the, for, the, for our captive wild animals. Um, when you bring a wild animal into captivity, their behavior changes drastically. Uh, they're no longer acting you know, as they would normally in the wild. So my job was to observe both wild and captive, uh, like with our Mexican gray wolves or the gorillas that I've raised. 
um, so that we can create a semi-realistic form of enrichment for them in captivity. Um, so that's where I found my passion really for canines. I've always trained dogs before, um, but there was when I found the, um, the more in-depth look into the canine mentality. Um, I've read every book on the market <laughs> about animal behavior and learning how to communicate with animals. And one of the greatest injustices that I've seen is anthropomorphizing, which is by definition attributing human characteristics to a, an animal. Um, dogs are dogs by nature and they're perfect and beautiful for who they are. Um, by treating them as a human or, or as a toy <laughs> in some respects is a, is a massive injustice to, the, to, to what nature intended that animal to be. Um, so one of my coins to behavior is basically to see life or perceive life through their eyes. Um, now, I've literally lived in the woods with wolves. Um, I can tell you definitely that um, dog training is very different than behavior. Um, dog training is a great tool to develop to help modify behavior. So if anything, like for instance, if you go to a gym uh, and you see a, uh, a, a trainer who's going to train you how to do certain routines. Now, that trainer is not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. However, at the end of the day, you feel great. You know, you really do, you feel absolutely great. So it does kind of manipulate your psychology. So training is an amazing tool, but sometimes we go a little bit further. So again, I could really kind of get in depth into the way they perceive reality. Um, mostly where I would like to touch today is, is, is how we have received our domestic dogs from their wild predecessors. Um, I personally own a Bracco Italiano, which I'm not sure if you guys heard that. It's a very rare breed. Um, one of the most, one of the ancient breeds actually, dating back to the fourth and fifth century BC. Um, they are an amazing breed. Very, very, very difficult to own in a home. <laughs> they still retain a lot of the wild, their wild predecessors' behaviors. Um, and they actually come out of what we would consider a juvenile stage. So when we look at wolves, whenever I observe a wolf uh, and even have, I don't want to say ever owned one, but have rehabilitated them and had them in my possession for a very long period of time, especially at the zoo with our Mexican gray wolves, I spent days and hours with them. Uh, they, they will challenge you consistently. They will definitely step up to the plate to take this alpha leadership role. Um, you can win that battle uh, very easily through a certain level of matching stubbornness with stubbornness. But... It's <laughs> like home. Exactly. <laughs> um, but one of the things is that that dog will absolutely challenge you again the next day. Um, it's imperative to their survival to make sure that the strongest is the strongest and that you even if you slip for one day, that can mean the survival of the entire pack. So they will challenge you consistently. When, so when back in the day when we were um, seeing the wolf as more of like a companion, uh, I would say back in the prehistoric days, um, you know, when, when uh, well, maybe not prehistoric, I'm 
sorry. What is that? Neolithic. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, when uh, man and canine have cooperated with each other, almost like a symbiotic relationship that we've had. It's actually one of the oldest relationships that that man has had. Uh, I, I recently read an article uh, of an archaeologist who had discovered proof of this, that actually his claim was that man would never have survived without the canine, um, which is pretty, you know, I, I really want to get more in depth into that. <laughs> um, but the taking the benefits of the wolf and manipulating that into our current domestic breeds was to first su suppress their desire to become alpha. Because one of the things that we see often when we talk to dog trainers uh, or even other behaviorists is that they always say you have to take this alpha role. That you have to become the alpha of your pack. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Unless you are willing to uh, get down and bite your dog. And, and you could raise your hackles and you can you know, widen your eyes to get that whale eye. If you could communicate fully 100% like a dog, then I could say you could achieve the alpha leadership role. Um, what I like to say is that we become providers, uh, very much like a parent. So what we'll do is, with our domestic dogs, we can achieve that goal and take that leadership role by providing safety and security to our dogs, and then they will follow you out of complete necessity as a pack animal for survival, they will definitely follow you. Taking the alpha leader role, that alpha role as a wolf, is literally impossible for us to do because we're not dogs. Um, so. The juvenile stage of a canine, uh, or of a wolf, I should say, or a coyote, or a fox, whenever I've worked with them at a young age, even felines, to be honest with you, I did a lot of work with, at the zoo with the uh, snow leopards and with their uh, bank tigers. At a young age, the juvenile um, mentality allows them to kind of accept you as part of the pack. Um, a lot of the felines, we'll just take felines for a second here. I know this is a canine uh, talk, but felines, I could walk into those exhibits and they would greet me with open arms. So playful, so fun. The second they hit maturity, that was over. That was over and I have been attacked. Um, just walking in as a daily routine and all of a sudden something triggered and that animal now is wants me out of there. Um, and I've seen that with wolves, not so much where they want me out of there, but they kind of see me come into the exhibit and they say, oh, hey, you know what? I think I'm gonna take over the pack today. <laughs> and uh, you're going to listen to me. Yeah, and, and I do. Because <laughs> when you're up against seven wolves, you listen pretty quickly. Um, yeah, uh, so when you have that mentality, they have to rise to the occasion in order to, to maintain the stability of the pack. But over years of genetic manipulation of man, we have created our breeds, we have taken every single thing that the wolf is and changed it into a bloodhound and brought it into a Labrador. And each breed that we have domestic has its strengths. Literally, it's genetically encoded strengths. Pointers point, retrievers retrieve. Although my retrievers will point, <laughs> the strengths, the natural ability comes out, it shines within each breed. The difference is, is that Beyond that year, year and a half point when they reach sexual maturity, they don't challenge. On occasion, a rare occasion, we will get that one that challenges. And that's where a lot of the trainers will call me in. Because now the dog is reaching his acceptable level according to nature, but no longer acceptable to us in our society. Whereas we have a certain level of dominance and aggression and the dog really wants to take over the pack. 
Um, I, I am a former dock control officer for local, uh, well, my former local, I'm a local here now, um, and proud of it. <laughs> um, but I was a dock control officer for Town East Fishkill, uh, the police department there, and I worked there for quite some time. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of calls for dogs that have, like, bitten the neighbor or bit a guest, and we go over there and I say, you know, can we see the, the bite? And now, of course, there is a little bit of blood. Now, according to our local authorities, if there's any bite, a bite is a bite is a bite is a bite, and justification for euthanasia, which, to me, when I see a 115-pound German Shepherd give you a little scratch on your arm, I don't consider that a bite. I consider that more of a friendly warning. You know, and, and, and again, a dominant dog. So if a stranger just randomly walks into your home, you're definitely not going to just welcome them with open arms. We're definitely going to warn them, hey, wait a minute, you know, but a dog can't speak English. So they will and they'll bark and they'll warn and now we get afraid and that de-escalating is what another dog would do out of uh, fear or, or, or saying that they are wrong. So for instance, if someone walks into your home uh, they come walking into your home like that. Uh, you say, hey, what are you doing in there? And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just not thinking. I might have walked into the wrong home. Immediate de-escalation. If you were to say to that person, hey, what are you doing in my home? And they run. <laughs> well, clearly they acknowledge the fact that they were not supposed to be there. And uh, by running, they have symbolized a certain level of aggression at, at a certain point. So the dog will proceed. Uh, so it's not always a uh, predator-prey instinct. It could be a defensive instinct. Uh, so that's usually when I walked in homes. I was telling Sharifa today that last week I was attacked four times in the home. Uh, you know, coming in as a behaviorist, people would like me to see the behavior. But I believe you. I don't have to get attacked to know <laughs> the behavior is there. Um, yeah, so, but sometimes it's just they let the dog go and I have to now handle a big, large Rottweiler or a Chow or, or, or a Pitbull. Um, rarely Pitbulls, by the way. Very, very rare. Knock on wood. I've never been bit <laughs> by a Pitbull. Um, Golden Retriever was the one to really put me, uh, to put me out for a while. Yeah, again, hunting breeds. Uh, genetically designed to, uh, to be predatory. So um, I don't want to get too far off the topic, but uh, understanding the behavior of the dog and understanding aggression and fear is all really about developing communication and structure. Communication and structure, even we need that. We need to be able to communicate. We do need a certain level of structure. If the structure falls, then who's taking care of what? So that's one of the questions that dogs ask you. Now, if a dog in your home doesn't have the communication or structure, then fear will set in. And a lot of times we'll go to a behaviorist and they'll say, oh, there's a level of anxiety there. No, I agree. Anxiety is a real thing. Um, but when we use things like separation anxiety, we're really using a human-based term when it comes to separation anxiety. Uh, separation anxiety is something that I see with children or perhaps two people who have been together forever and now all of a sudden they're split. That could be, there's a certain level of separation anxiety that can form there. I feel like dogs, they're, they're, they're pack animals. They literally need each other to survive. There needs to be a certain level of order there. Um, when they separate, it is, a, it is a form of separation anxiety, but not so much in the human aspect. I think their separation is more of, okay, now who's going to protect me? 
So you know you have your alphas, you have deltas, and then you have a whole bunch below that. Um, an alpha, which there are many, there's not one, just one alpha. Uh, I'm actually working on a documentary now to bring to light the female role within the canine community because throughout history, even through my, my intensive training at the, at the Wildlife Conservation Society, I've always heard alpha male. Alpha male, alpha male, alpha male, alpha male. But yet, if we look at our canines, our domestic canines, female to female problems tend to be the worst. They tend to be the worst. Male to male problems tend to resolve very quickly. And female to male problems almost never happen. You know, the male always backs down from the female. <laughs> <laughs> it's the absolute. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so it should be. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, mama holds a whole different role. Uh, the females in a pack, all, all healthy females will breed. They will all breed. So every single female will have this alpha role at some point or another, whether she wants to be or not, she's going to have to be alpha of her micro pack. So she has a micro responsibility and a macro responsibility all at the same time. She has to play her role in the macro pack while defending her micro pack from the macro pack. So she's always got that dominant role. And if there happens to be an alpha male in that litter, well, mama put him in his place from day one. So she always maintains the alpha role, always. Um, I'm, you know, I, I definitely, so my wild animal research that I do now kind of stems into personal funding. Uh, I have a podcast now that, that called the Pack Animal Podcast, if you guys ever listen to podcasts. Um, and I try to personally fund these because a lot of times when the big organizations, the big institutions fund you for research, um, that research gets turned over to them. And then it's whatever, whatever the market wants to pay for, uh, it'll come out, you know? So, and especially when it comes to animals, animals, I mean, obviously medical research is a little different, um, but when it comes to animals, uh, if we're studying nutrition, well, who's gonna pay us more, Yukonuba? And does Yukonuba want you to know that there are certain other foods out there that are actually decent for animals, like grains? You know, bless you. <laughs> um, grains are, there are positive grains and negative grains. So this grain-free diet is just yet another you know, all grains are bad. Um, all milk is bad. All eggs are bad. Oh, wait, eggs are great. You know, <laughs> it's like always that ever-changing uh, thing. So I'm not saying anything about you, Kanuba. I can't hear you. I'm just, you know, I, yeah, no, no, no. I'm just using examples. Yeah, exactly. If, if you was listening, I am not. <laughs> exactly. But that's just the way that kind of flows. So one of the things that I want to do is I want to go out there untethered, unrestricted from institutional guidelines and gather the, da the data, um, grab the audios, grab the video, uh, actually document this and bring another researcher or two out there with me to, to document this because the female role is absolutely by far the most dominant role, hence the reason female to female fights keep me employed. Um, <laughs> I'd say it's about 75% of my job is dealing with female to female fights. And they get resolved um, only through developing a level of understanding, almost like creating a level of peace between them. If you try to claim alpha over both of those dogs, you can easily achieve that. You could, well, not alpha, we're gonna use that as a loose term here. Um, but if you become the provider or the alpha over those two dogs, um, you will be over those two dogs. But what about them? What about their relationship? So that's where uh, resource guarding techniques and things like that can come into play. Um, resource guarding is definitely something I wanna to touch based on uh, most 
most of your city shelters uh, are euthanizing dogs on a daily basis for resource burning. Um, there's a thing called an excessa hand. Have you ever heard of an excessa hand? Yeah. yeah, it's basically a stick with a glove. And when they bring the dog in for an evaluation, they put food down, high priority food, and they stick a glove in the dog's face. And then the dog attacks it. And uh-oh, dog is over aggressive, so now we're gonna euthanize this dog, he's no good. That's like sitting in a restaurant and having a steak in front of you, or for your vegetarians, I'm sorry, but for having a beautiful dish in front of you, and a random stranger walking over and sticking a glove with it on a stick in your food. Um, you're going to resource guard your food. I mean, it's just, it's just nature. You're gonna say, hey, wait, what are you doing? You know, so a dog does that when we kill them. And this is where we have to start, you know, um, as a community kind of putting it out there that these behaviors are not abnormal. They might be in appearance very aggressive and they are pretty, I guess they are pretty aggressive. Most of the resource gardens I've worked with will put up a really fabulous display and then I stick my hand in the bowl and they just, ah, and they open their mouth and just kind of mouth me or lick my hand. Um, I'm not saying go out and do that. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is, a lot of the dogs that I did see through evaluations um, that failed the excessive hand passed my own hand going into that bowl because there was a personal relationship there. They did not want to hurt you. Uh, it was just a foreign object going into their bowl. Um, resource guarding is a natural form of communication that sets structure. Um, alpha or the alphas of the pack will always resource guard from the ones below. But the ones below will never resource guard from the ones above. So it kind of chains down the little ladder there. Um, mama will resource guard from puppies, almost always. Uh, and then eventually the puppies will start to communicate and mama might give in to a few of them. Because mama, assuming the alpha role as a mother, once the puppies are grown and weaned, no longer wants that role. So she might fall back into line when it comes to her macro pack. So again, we, we're looking at this, this, this massive amount of structuring and communication going on here. Um, and what I'm trying to do is take the whole beast and owner mentality out and say that these dogs see you nothing but more than family. They don't identify you as, as, as homo, homo sapien. You know, it's just, it's, it's your, your life that's, that, that they need and they, they rely on you. So a lot of my methods are, um, what does the dog expect from you? And what do you expect from your dog? And it's a give and take relationship, not just a take, take, take relationship. Um, you know, again, the difference here, I wrote down a little note here that, to, to, to make sure I mention the difference between training and behavior. So I've kind of broken it down to three Three steps. I mean, it's way more complicated than this. But again, um, I could talk for hours on, on just this one subject. When it comes down to the difference between dog training and behavior, dog training, you would command, mark, and release. Sit. Good boy. Okay. We're done. Um, command, mark, and release. Completely unnatural. Absolutely 100% unnatural. Never, never, never would the natural mother say, sit, good boy, and then release them. It just doesn't happen, they don't speak English. So um, behavior would be expect, warn, and correct. So I'll give you an example. 
um, the, with the wolves that I was working with. Um, we would go down and we would grab some antlers, some freshly shed antlers, and I would take those antlers and throw them into the exhibit. All the dogs would run away. You would think they would attack them like wolves, right? Like we always say as a, um, as a society, we always say, oh, they're gonna attack it like a wolf, a pack of wolves. Um, they all ran away. The female came out. She was the end all and say all on this small seven dog pack. Um, she walked out and she decided what she wanted and she would growl at everybody and she would grab that bone and come and lay down. Then they would come out and very respectfully. <laughs> Not once did I hear her go, wait, leave it, stay. Nothing. Nothing at all. They knew whose territory that was and they wouldn't dare touch it. Not that they feared her. They're born without leashes and collars. If they feared her, they would be gone, long gone. We all know the feral dogs. Um, feral dogs, geez, you, you just look at them and they're gone, disappear. Um, so one of the things that, it's not that they fear her, they respect her. They understand that she is holding the order of that pack and she is the one who's providing them with life. They did come out when she laid down, but her warning still didn't cease. She's chewing and her teeth are coming up and they would take it and they would walk over here and they would chew on their bones. When she was done, she would walk away and they would swarm in on that one. And then again, we go through structure depending on the chain or the ladder that they were going down. Um, so there we have the expect warning correct. So if they failed her warning, they would have corrected. Uh, she would have corrected them. The corrections are what we call, um, so in hunting training, you call that pressure. So they put pressure. Now, I work, I train a lot of the hunting breeds. Um, and I am, I'm very, very, very well versed in the old school methods of hunting and how cruel it is. Um, collar burning, prong collars, things like that. Uh, that's the do it right, hurt you method. They don't do that to each other. They do not do that to each other. They don't hurt each other. They don't bite each other in the throats. Uh, they don't use all these unnecessary devices. Um, compression bites are more of a compression. It's just a quick grab. The reason I can see a 115 pound German Shepherd bite a human being who literally can get cut by paper. You know, we get paper cuts. We're that fragile when it comes to these things and we have a huge German Shepherd tag you and nail you and you walk away with just a couple scratches. That's a compression bite. And had that happened to another dog, they would walk away with nothing. There wouldn't be a hair missing on their head. In fact, often when I watch certain dogs fight structurally or wolves, it's a lot of ah, open mouth and a lot of drama and just lots of noise and they just walk away. <laughs> so something was settled there. Um, so that's one of the, the things when it comes to those compression bites. So she's expecting, she expects them to not. And if they fail, she warns them with the growl and the teeth and all the escalated vocalization. And if they fail, pow pow, she gives a little bit of a, little bit of a compression. And they understand when they submit. Um, if she did not do that, and they were able to take the bone, then perhaps the next time around, she would submit, and then effectively relieving her role as the alpha. Now, granted, I, I definitely have seen structural battles that end a lot more brutally, um, but that is usually an equal match. Two alphas trying to take over the pack. Um, if it's not settled, that's how a 40-dog pack can now split. So there will be dogs that will follow one of them out, and there will be dogs that will follow the other one. So we can take a 40 dog pack, turn them into 20, and then they will grow. And then they will split again, 
and they will grow. Now, man's interference with the wolves by claiming that they kill livestock and stuff is really bogus. I don't think anybody has ever witnessed a wolf killing a sheep. I'll be honest with you. Would they? Probably. But if you're domesticating an area, if you're populating an area, you clear cut a pasture, you put up a fence, that wolf is probably watching you from a mile away. Whenever we do research or, or I've, I've interviewed hunters like I, so I will pull these wild, these, some of these hunters that, that, that have this passion for hunting predators for I don't know what reason. You can't eat them. Uh, you know, it's just like a, 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 I don't know what's going on through some people's minds. But um, they have, they, they've convinced themselves that they're doing justice for, for, for mankind by, by killing these poor animals. Um, but most, uh, not most, all of the hunters that I've ever talked to who have gone to Alaska and tried to hunt the wolves have spent days out there and have found nothing. Tracks, absolutely, but those wolves knew you were coming from literally two miles away. They caught you on the downwind and they were gone. You would have to descent yourself, like with deer. However, the wolf still will get, will get wind of you and they'll keep moving away. So why would they go near your fence post that you put up? Why would they go near the sheep? Why would they come near your property at all? Um, especially if you're walking those areas. Coyotes will. Oh, for a fact, a coyote will. Absolutely. So what I'm starting to find, I know I'm getting a little off the topic here, but what I'm starting to find is that the hybrids, the, the koi dogs that we're finding out there, the wolf-coyote uh, hybrids, um, a very famous researcher whom I actually idolized for a while, whom now I'm dropping like a hotcake, uh, just posted up on his Facebook a picture of him with a dead koi dog. And I'm thinking to myself, like, and, and his, his philosophy is, this is unnatural. We need to control this situation. And mine is, perhaps this is an evolutionary turn that they're taking <coughs> to compensate for people. Yes. Right? Yeah. Wolves, they, they're, if they lose their ability, so, so a lot of the structure of a wolf, yeah, a lot of the... <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the structure of a wolf is to make sure that coyotes are no longer on their territory. Geez, that's another canine. We have to mark our trees and keep them away and they would kill any coyote. In fact, I've seen documentaries um, back at the zoo, a lot of the, the smaller private documentaries where they have baited coyotes into their area mm -hmm. to kill them and they would leave them. They're not eating them. So these wolves are literally keeping them. So what's now changed that wolves are seeking them out to breed with? Well. Yeah, they need to, they, yeah, they, well, they need safety and security within their pack. And if we're killing them all, then they're going to find canines to breed and become safe and secure. And they're finding that a lot of these koi dogs are bigger, stronger, and way more aggressive than a wolf. So now you're dealing with the coyote mentalities with a much larger aggressive animal. Um, compensating for the destruction, so essentially forming a larger, more a stronger soldier to compensate it for its enemy. And what we need to do is is kind of um, back off of that uh, that mentality. Wyoming uh, has a, a, a big problem with this. Um, Yellowstone, they released so many, and now all of a sudden the powers that be have decided that we can hunt them again. And I'm like, they're not overpopulated. I can tell you for sure. I mean, the Berkshires, we had wolves here, a plethora of wolves. I love that word, plethora, um, <laughs> of, of, of wolves. And now it's like there are few and far between. And if we see them in our yard, 
it's a boom to DEC. And, and, and that's where we have to, you know, the wolves literally get out of here and they run. <laughs> so uh, actually most wild animals will do that. Yeah, I, I, maybe maybe not a, a mountain lion, but I, 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 if he's at a distance, he probably would. Uh, but that's the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, if he was juvenile. <laughs> um, but that's the thing is just understanding the, the, the wolf you know, um, or Colorado, let's use Colorado as an example. I really want to get down there and somehow talk to the, the, to the authorities of Colorado. You'd think Colorado, one of the, like, the, the, the biggest wildlife uh, sanctuary states in the world. Uh, I've been there numerous times, and I'll tell you, there was one time where I was literally sitting on the Dallas Divide waiting for hundreds of elk to cross the road, praying that none of these creatures are going to jump on my car. <laughs> There's just so many animals there, but um, from what I've from what I've heard, I can't say this one hundred percent sure, but effectively they have rid Colorado of their wolves. Um, you can get mountain lions there, you can get everything else, but the wolves. And I saw on Facebook one of the officials. It was in was it Redvale, maybe Boulder, um, where he posted up on his Facebook all of his sheep dead in the pasture. I mean, it's like, these wolves really have to go. Every single sheep had a bullet-sized hole in the side of the sheep. I'm sorry, if a wolf grabs an animal, they're going to take them into the woods, yeah. and you'll find pieces later. Maybe. You know, um, the whole point of wolves is to keep the weak, to keep the strong of the herds. So when they push a herd, whoever's lagging back is the one who's going to get eaten. And in fact, that's less of an animal that the herd needs to care for. So they, they, they strengthen the herds. Um, wolves have such a massive benefit. Uh, I, I know I keep getting off on that subject. It's just, you know, it, it, we have little mimics of wolves in our house. <laughs> uh, so understanding them is understanding our canines. Uh, you know, again, there are, they are, from what I would say, uh, more of a suppressed uh, version of a wolf. I, I actually trying to get my friend Christos to, to be on a podcast with me. Um, he's, he's done a lot for Princeton University uh, and on the brain functions and, and, and how we have developed domestic canines from the wild predecessors. So one day I will definitely get that podcast out there. <laughs> um, but understanding and looking through their eyes, not just looking at the surface, that's one of the things that I'm really big on. When we observe what's happening, our human nature is to, to diagnose like a human being. Um, but we have to kind of let that go. We have to let go of the human thought process and start thinking about the way they communicate. Um, they are all about safety and security. That's their number one thing. If you have a dog with anxiety, there's most likely a structural issue. Who are you? Are you the alpha? I don't want to be the alpha. Are you going to protect me? Who's protecting me? Where am I? <laughs> and then they wind up hiding behind your couch. Um, they don't understand you know, thresholds or these walls. They don't understand that this wood is different than a tree or a stick outside. Until a dog can produce an engineering degree, I refuse to believe they understand thresholds. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, so one of the things that we want to do is create levels of expectations 
and kind of let go of that human thought process. Um, I hope I didn't jump too much on certain subjects here, but um, I definitely want to leave time for questions. I, 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 you know, like psychology, psychology is not linear. Um, it doesn't follow a, uh, a straight line. Everything is different. Every animal has different personality. Every breed has genetic specific. Every person is different. Every environment is different. The influencing minds are different. So, um, you know, when it comes to psychology, the best thing to do is just have a massively open mind. Open your mind to it. Don't, don't, I wouldn't say that there's always a factual way of doing things. In fact, any fact I can prove is not factual. <laughs> there's always a variable to something. Uh, there's always another person's opinion. So that's what makes history completely weird. <laughs> uh, so any questions for you guys? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, um, yeah, so there's a lot that can attribute to that. Uh, first off, it could be a structural issue and a communication issue. Again, everything really falls under that structure and communication. Um, you have to develop a level of communication in order to communicate the structure. And once we communicate the structure, then you possess territory. And within that territory, you are the one who is accepting of those who come in and out, regardless of the dog's desires. So whether the dog likes people or not, or likes dogs or not, you're the one judging this, not them. Uh, dogs are introverts by nature. So this is why, again, I can get way off the topic and go into like dog parks and, um, and doggy daycares. Yeah, completely for human satisfaction. I love uh, dogs are massively internal. They love their packs. I've never seen a wolf leave to go play with a coyote. Well, actually, um, I can joke about that because we have koi dogs. But um, in general, they don't leave their packs to go play with another pack. Um, so when it comes down to the reaction towards another dog, there's a couple of things that can be applied. Some of the more common things would be on leash. Mm -hmm. So you're restricting their ability to fight or flight. So it could be a fear-provoked thing. I can't run, so I'm going to have to vocalize. Uh, if I can't run and hide, I'm going to have to try to frighten this dog away. Um, again, not very natural. I've never seen a wolf or a coyote bark at me in the woods. Mostly they see you and they get real low and they kind of slip right out. Uh, barking calls an unnecessary amount of attention to the pack and compromises the safety of the pack, causing a big problem. And what happens is the powers that be in that pack wind up redirecting aggression. They pow right on that dog to shut him up. 
because we don't want to attract this mountain lion over here. Um, a mountain lion can do a lot of damage to a wolf. Um, so that could be one aspect. Another aspect is you're restraining their ability to satisfy the greeting. So they are territorial, and they say, oh, look, a dog, and they take that step, and now they're restrained. And it's just a matter of escalated frustration. Um, so sometimes that could actually literally be a leash-caused issue. So the best way to do that is train your dog how to be off-leash, how to communicate to have your dog, if he wants to go say hi, with maybe like a, hey, and he turns around and comes back to you, uh, saying, we're not going to do this right now. You know, it's up to you. You're the one who's guiding the, the, the pack. Um, so that's, that's, that's another thing. Another aspect of that is if we don't know the history of the dog, we don't quite know. This is the issue with adopting dogs. Um, I love adopting dogs. I have adoptions, uh, adopt, adopted dogs. Um, however, we don't fully know the background. Um, and I was always the person who was, you know, boy, I wish they would just tell me the background so I can fix it. And then I became a dog control officer. And I got firsthand to see how cruel humans can be to animals. And if I told you, your good nature would change. You'd want to go after this person. So we don't. We hide it. We just say, look, he was abused. Um, and he was abused with this, 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 and that. And then we try in the shelters, um, behaviors for a lot of the shelters, try to, to help them out, to desensitize them, to show them that for every one bad person, there's a million wonderful people. Uh, you know, so, so that's the... the that's, that's another reason why. Um, there's a lot to do to treat that. And that usually fixes pretty fast. Pretty oh. fast. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It'll fix pretty fast. Um, it's, 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 once you can get, yeah, if you could take that mentality down, that first five seconds of reaction, if you could look at a threshold from zero to 100 and you can prevent them from going over 50, mm -hmm. chances are that introduction to the other dog is going to go fine, even with two dominant dogs. Mm -hmm. It'll still go fine. Um, they'll just meet each other. Oh, okay, you're safe. And then they'll walk away. But um, that dog is like, uh, I'm walking her today, and the dog is walking up the hill across the street, by cemetery, wherever that is over there. And, and Peanut wants to go over there, and I'm like, okay, you can't go over there, because cars could kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so... She, yeah, there's, so that expect, warn, and correct is actually a behavior modification that can be. I expect my dog not to react. If he reacts, I can warn him. And if I fail the warning, I can correct him with, again, gentle pressure or a tap on leash. Um, on a collar. On a collar. I love martingales, by the way. Martingale collars are compression collars. Um, prong collars cause pain. So I, I, if you have them, throw them in a garbage, please. Is that um, like a brand name? Martingale? A martingale is a style. Yeah, it's a style. So the, uh, there are many different brands. Guardian Gear, jeez, um, uh, Mighty Dog. That's another one. So martingale, the one I like has a it's a it's a regular material collar, and then it has a compression loop. I like I prefer the chain compression loop because it's a little more fluid. It releases quicker. Um, okay, there's a big argument again. I I I'm probably way over the time. I'm, if you guys don't mind hanging around. Um, uh, the, 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 uh, the argument behind the harness industry. Right, somebody told me, should need a harness. That's what you need. Right, brilliant, brilliant industry. Brilliant industry. Okay, you have a problem, let's band-aid it. You know, let's not correct the psychology of it. Let's just put an offset pressure harness on there so when he pulls, he goes to the side and then he doesn't 
you know, yeah. some dogs that might work, but most I find that really doesn't communicate very well. Um, the natural form of correction is usually the face and the back of the neck. So whenever I would get a call out to a dog where uh, the dog was injured, the neighbor would say, they're fighting the dog next door. You know, in like the city of Poughkeepsie, Newburgh, you know, those areas. I would go down and I would look and I would say, wow, that dog does have some, you know, pretty severe injuries on the back of his neck and on his face. Uh, do you have another dog in the house? Oh, yes, and they just don't get along. And I'm like, well, they're actually just trying to structure each other. Uh, and the damage doesn't indicate fighting. When you look at fighting, yes, there is damage on the back of the neck and the face, but the throat, the femoral artery, the back, these dogs are trying to kill each other. These dogs are not structuring. Those are fighting dogs. Um, you know, and they're usually doing that only because people make them do it. It's very rare that you find that. And like I said, pit bulls are, are the unfortunate dog that gets thrown under the bus when they are tend there to some be. dogs that probably shouldn't be together? Some dogs shouldn't. Some dogs won't accept each other. Some breeds that... Some people don't like other people. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, we, we all meet somebody that we just don't click with, you know? Um, but we amicably walk away. And typically, that's what dogs will do. They'll get into a little bickering argument. So that's another explanation for why the dog would react on the leash is because if I have some nut job yelling over there, and then I start yelling, and then he escalates, and then we both escalate, and it becomes a big problem. So sometimes uh, working with a dog that is uh, very, very uh, calm will help the other dog to see that their reactions are gaining no effect. So therefore that can help calm down the other dog's reactions as well. Um, but just to, 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 to do the martingale, the martingale is an appropriate correction. There are two D-links on there. So when you push it, when you pull it, it gives more of a, like a compression in the neck. But the trick to it is to keep it loose always. Don't ever let your dog drag because then I agree with the harness company that says, oh, it's gonna cause esophagus damage and all that stuff. I get that, absolutely. Anything around your neck noosing you, uh, even a regular buckle collar, will all the pressure will be applied here and there's nothing on the back of the neck which is the strongest part of the dog's body. Um, so with the compression collars, it'll give you more of that natural mama, pow, pow, a little grab there, but without pain. So as long as you can War, expect, warn, and correct your dog without pain, your dog will never fear you. In fact, they'll, they'll understand, wow, this is usually a pretty serious event, resource guarding, and yet you corrected me and you never hurt me. Well, I'm gonna stick next to you, because I, I, you trust me, you know, it's like kids. It's literally, you, you, you wanna correct them, but you don't wanna hurt them, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> so, um, you know, and the more you do that, the more value they see in you as a, as a, as a provider, and they'll stick very close to you. Um, so, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um, is it uh, anthropomorphizing if you have two dogs and there's jealousy? Um, yes, absolutely. Jealousy, yeah. Um, possession is a, ma a matter of control. So a lot of times we see people use the word jealousy when it comes to how a dog acts towards the owner. Um, we'll use that word owner just as, for the sake of argument. Um, when in reality, it's a matter of possession. I'll hear, oh, the dog's protecting me. No, he's possessing you. Uh, you know, protection would be more of what I would consider a forward aggression, whereas when they come into you like that and they're possessing you. Uh, jealousy is, um, it's, it's, so if your dog, if, one, if you pet one dog and the other dog comes up to you and starts nuzzling in there like that, it's really more of a dominance behavior. 
uh, they really won't, they won't do that. And sometimes one of the dogs will just leave. And now the dog who successfully manipulated the other dog has taken over that position in the pack. Um, which again, that might work for them. And you might never ever see an issue until you get another dog. And then you bring another dog into the pack and all of a sudden there's pack fighting everywhere. Um, so yeah, jealousy is anthropomorphizing. Um, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of behaviors that I could definitely use to compare human behavior to animal behavior to just kind of satisfy our own desires and our own needs of explanations. Uh, but they go a little bit more in depth than that, I, I believe. You know, it, they're, they're all about su survival. They don't have a verbalized form of communication, so they don't talk. There's no ruff, ruff, ruff means the tree, and ruff, ruff, ruff means the river, you know? And it's just, yeah. <laughs> so do you think a dog can feel guilty? Okay, that's a wonderful, that's a really common, very common question. I see that a lot. My dog peed in the house, and he looks very guilty, and he ran away. Yeah. That's not guilt, that's confusion. Yeah, I just peed, I mean, I do it out in the woods, you know? I, I just, I don't understand this, you know? So what happens is we have to communicate a level of, well, this is my territory. And if a young wolf pees over an alpha wolf's urine, there will be corrections that go on there. So they, they, do, they do push everything out into the, into the area. So you have to communicate to them that you possess the territory. Housebreaking is a massive topic. Um, it could be so many different things causing housebreaking. Marking, it could just be lack of knowledge, it could just be medical, medical reasons. Um, there's a lot of reasons why a dog wouldn't, wouldn't housebreak easily. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, uh, that feeling guilty is more like I peed and you're gonna get really aggressive. I have no idea why, oh my God. And that's where they start to hide in a corner and we say, oh, you know what you did. Yeah, they went into the garbage. And then, did you do that? And they walk away. Yeah, it could, yeah, it's a withdrawal. It's a withdrawal. I have seen this with children. It's like, who colored on the wall? Right, there's my wife back there. Yep. Who colored on the wall? And it's like, like this. Have oh, you no. seen this, the videos with the two yeah. dogs? Like, who did that? And the other dog like gives it away. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, one is going to understand the act of doing it, so you can't say that they don't understand. Um, I love that that the 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 um the thought process of that the dog will forget after peeing after five seconds. That if you come home from work and there's a puddle of pee that's dried up that the dog forgot. Absolutely not. They peed that spot, and if any other dog pees on it, they're going to move right back over and mark that spot again. You know, so they understand. They totally know what they just did. Um, it might be actually for your benefit. Hey, mom, dad, I just marked the house. We're safe. You know, and that might be something where, again, we're punishing them for something, and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Why did you just, what? What's going on? I, I thought I did good by marking my territory. So these are all things that, Again, it, it, again, yeah, that's a great point there. That, that, that is anthropomorphizing. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure at some, in some way, shape, or form that they do feel a level of guilt, that they do feel that. I, I had a discussion with a, um, with a psychotherapist, a good friend of mine, and we were talking about cognitive behaviors. Me completely is firmly believing that dogs don't have cognitive behaviors, that everything is premeditated. And I'm like, 
No, I don't. And, and, and the purpose behind this is that, well, dogs are habitual and they follow the same path every time. And it's just trial and error. No, their senses are 10 times greater than ours. They can hear better, see better, smell better. Um, so why wouldn't those senses give them the direction that they need to determine a certain path to be safe? We're the ones who pretty much, well, hmm, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> yeah. And we walk this way, and then there's a cliff. Yeah, so um, you know, they, they know the changing of behavior. So if they don't have cognitive behaviors and they premeditate every single thing that they do, then why is it that with every natural disaster, we find no dead wildlife, right? Only our domestic dogs that couldn't run because they were behind a fence were chained up. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost, almost always. So, I mean, boy, they knew the weather was coming before our weatherman did, you know, and they, and they cleared out. <laughs> so I think we, you know, um, uh, you know, obviously we understand and give the dogs definitely a lot of credit, but a lot of the public doesn't. They don't give credit for the animals, and, and we call them. See, I even hate using the word animals because of, of, of my experience in the industry. Everyone says, oh, that's just an animal. I love that word, animals. I feel like, you know, it, it, it's life. It, 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 you know, the gorilla is perfect as a gorilla, and, and an elephant is perfect as an elephant. You know, why don't we really look into looking at them as an elephant? You know, I would walk into the Bronx Zoo. Patty, Maxine, come on, Sammy, come on. And all the elephants would come out and their trucks would go over my shoulder and we would walk them from exhibit to exhibit. So we're giving them human names. They're responding, which is amazing. I mean, your dog could literally be naming you and we have no idea. <laughs> you could be a rougherson. I don't know, but you know, it's, and we have no idea. But yet they have learned, um, I think on record, it was a, a Schutzen dog. Schutzen is Der Schutzhund. It's German for the protection dog. Uh, it's one of the foundations of all police and military dogs in the, in the country, in, in the world, for that matter. Um, and uh, I think it was, it, 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 definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that one dog was 780 words in four different languages, and he knew them on command, Doberman Pinscher. Um, yeah, my dog was pretty close to that, uh, in the milk point, Doberman Pinscher. He, he was up, literally was like having a conversation with the dog, and that is completely not his nature. If you left him, uninfluenced by animals and left him with his natural species, his natural mama and papa, not one word would ever be said, especially in different languages. You know, so again, it's like their ability to rise above what nature intended for them is absolutely phenomenally amazing. Um, most animals for that, for that matter. So, yes, sorry. Are there levels of intelligence? Same with people, yeah. I would say it's the same with people. For that matter, um, you know, I don't want to call it levels of intelligence. I'm going to call it levels of willingness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but you're you're right. No, I, I would say it's a, it's a level of willingness. A lot of times, I'll walk into a lesson and they'll say, "Oh, my dog is dumb. Good look, sit, stay." And it's like, I don't know what to do with this dog. And I look at him, and I look at him, and I'm like, "Wow, that's probably the smartest dog I've ever seen in my life." Literally, he's completely convinced you that he has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I even had one person swearing, including the veterinarian, swear that this dog was deaf. And I'm like, absolutely not. He's just got no food motivation. And he just really is like in one ear out the other. So dominant, he literally tricked people into thinking he was deaf. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. So it was crazy. So, um, but... 
That, that, yeah, definitely. Levels of intelligence, I would say, is more about levels of willingness. Uh, I feel like some dogs are more willing than others. Uh, some dogs have that dominance level to where literally listening to you uh, is like walking through a brick wall. It's like that struggle. Okay, fine, I'll take that walk with you. You know, and that, that is the more, the more dominant the dog, the more alpha leadership, the less they feel like they need to listen to you. They do. They're they're not the followers. They're the leaders, and then they come off as dumb or or just like again aloof and deaf. Um, the healthy leader, and I feel this kind of reigns across the board, is someone who is who knows what they're talking about and stands behind what they what they feel and takes that role of I will listen to everything and take it into play. But you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be aggressive about it. I'm not going to be violent about it. Um, and that's where I've seen the leader, Cinder, my lab, I always mention him, you'll hear him multiple times if you listen to the podcast. Um, Cinder was my black lab, he died recently from kidney failure uh, due to anaplasmosis, which is a Lyme-born disease. Um, and labs tend to, news to me, over 25 years working with dogs, I just learned this from my veterinarian, that Labradors are susceptible to kidney failure due to this disease. Your pit bull could have it and live to 15, 16 years old. My guy died. Um, we, my wife and I really worked hard on this one. He had the, he was in like the second stage of kidney failure, and we brought him out of it and bought him another year by putting Ringer's lactate into his neck, a full IV bag twice a day. Um, and we really, I was not ready to let this dog go. So we bought him another year of life, and then uh, he wound up going very quickly. Uh, but he, he was absolutely an alpha leader. Totally an alpha leader. I've, that dog has been with me since eight weeks old. He's trained with me every single day. He would do everything with me, even vacations he would go with me. He was my, he's my, my, my right-hand man. Um, and I don't believe they actually go anywhere. How do you get a bond like that and, and, and separate it through death? No, I'm sorry, it doesn't happen. But um, he was an alpha leader. I would bring him on lessons, and he would walk, and a dog would right in his face, and he would <laughs> like you don't affect me. Who do you think you are? Yeah, never reactive, never, never reactive. The only time I've ever seen him reactive was when the dog actually physically bit me, and he went right after that dog, and he backed the dog off, and then came back to me to check on me to make sure I was okay. He was an alpha leader. In fact, when he died. My entire pack stopped eating. All of my dogs stopped eating, which in some respect was really, really heart wrenching to see the alpha go. And in the other respect, I stood there and said, Aren't I the alpha? Wait a minute, guys. You know, boy, that was a reality check, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but that's the alpha leader the dominant, confident. I don't need to come to the level of aggression. If you aggress me, then I just walk away. And that's the When other. he died, did some, some other dog in your pack assume the role? Yes. Huh? Yes, my Bracco. Um, my Bracco, which is, so the Bracco Italiano is a very, very, very tricky breed. They make wonderful, absolutely wonderful pets. They're amazing. They make great family members. They are driven to work. I don't think I've ever met a Bracco in my life that won't work. Uh, they're born and raised hunting dogs. They're pointers, Italian pointers. They look like hounds. They're beautiful dogs. And they hit about 88 pounds max. They're 
gorgeous, gorgeous dogs. Um, they do make wonderful pets, great with people, great with children. I mean, he is the gentlest dog I've ever had in my entire life. And one of the most ferocious hunters in the world. God help a coyote on my property. Uh, <laughs> this dog is, is really a bold dog. Um, definitely for experienced owners. Um, the, uh, he stepped up to the plate. How? Because the dog never went to the bathroom in the house. And now when Cinder's gone, he's marking, marking, marking. And no matter what you do, hey, you, what do you do? That low-hanging oh, yeah. look at you, walk away. He has taken over the pack. No, no, no out-of-the-ordinary aggression, nothing like that. But the other dogs do back off of him. Absolutely, he isolates himself. Not, not completely isolates himself, but if they're laying down in one corner, he walks to the other corner. And if they walk near him, he gives that growl. And then they lay down right next to him, and he puts his head, his head on them, and he just lets them know who's in charge here. Until I say, hey, and he's like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> and he gets up. So um, again, his nature is his nature. When we're looking to modify behavior, we're not looking to suppress their nature. We're just looking to control it a little bit, um, to, to kind of teach them how to kind of hold it back, rein it in a bit here, you know? Uh, you can have your nature, you can be dominant, just not over me, you know? And the other dogs really get it. My, the least dominant of my pack is my American Bulldog. Um, he looks like a giant pit bull. Uh, he had the roughest start in life. I took him out of high tour. I wasn't even looking for a dog. I walked in to, to look at another dog for somebody else. And I walked in there and I see this absolutely gorgeous, all white, pit bull looking dog staring at the brick wall and not looking at anybody. And, and just low growls. They, uh, the person before he was, he was taken uh, had cut his ears off with garden shears. They had broken his ribs. They had completely beaten, beaten this dog to the point where he was going to be euthanized for aggression. Um, right now I have pictures on my Facebook. If you guys have Facebook, please friend me. Um, of him sitting with my two-year-old, uh, with my two-year-old's hand completely down his mouth. He will give anything up to that, to that, I call him my puppy, to my, my son. Um, no aggression at all, and he's nine years old. When I got him out of there, he was six months old. And he is the least aggressive of all my dogs. He's therapy certified. Um, whenever he sees somebody who's afraid of him, because again, that stigma behind dogs definitely transfers down to the children. And whenever he sees a child who's afraid of him, he will literally put his head on the ground and just slide his way over to the child like this, wagging his tail, just to de-escalate the child because he cannot live without getting pet by that child. <laughs> so yeah, he just turns pink. He turns completely pink. Um, yeah, he's just like the sweetest puppy in the whole world, and he bows down to even the Yorkies <laughs> in his life. Um, yeah, well, Yorkies, what they lack in size, they gain in personality. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, do you guys have any more any more questions? Can I just or? One? Well, sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's just uh, how about not repeating the same thing about aggression here? But mm -hmm. I have a, a dog. I think she she's a mix from the south. I think she's a black mouth cur type dog. Oh yeah, love that. She's about seventy pounds or eighty pounds, and lovely, lovely, sweetie, and she very submissive when she's a puppy. And now she's two years old, and she she was socialized with other dogs off leash and everything's fine, but. Now she's starting to meet puppies, now that she's an adult, and the puppies, they show that they're submissive, they show that they're, you know, number two, number three, and she gets angry and sort of, you know, 
aggressive towards them. I'm being, I'm, you know, given their human traits, I know, but you know, she, she starts dominating them or trying to dominate them. And I, in a way that seems really harsh to me, and I'm, I, I'm worried about that, you know, because why? Yeah. Why all of a sudden this weird behavior, it seems weird to me. Why? You were all, the most submissive dog. Right. And now you meet these puppies, and you're really like a bully with them. <laughs> there's, yeah, there, well, there's, um, there's a few things. Again, it, it's just there, there's, uh, without actually seeing the, the behavior, yeah. it's, it's hard to, to kind of judge. Yeah. And then even with that, we have to give you certain testing to, do yeah, sure. to see what's really coming out there. But it sounds like, um, so I, I understand your fear because if there was no accepting, then there's there's going to be a, a, a problem, a big problem there for the puppies. Um, the communication is normal. The pack structure is completely changing. Oh no, there's puppies in, in, the, in the pack. I need to really assert my authority and let them know just because I know how rapid they're gonna grow. And I know that a puppy's brain is fully developed at seven weeks old. Um, and that a puppy uh, female will hit sexual maturity at, at she'll cycle about seven to nine months. Um, you know, I mean, they're hitting adulthood in about a year and a half. Whereas, you know, I know some 40 year olds that haven't hit adulthood yet. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so there's, um, there's a lot going on there. It could be just a level of communication. If there's acceptance, then the communication will happen. If there's no acceptance, and the dog just does not want these puppies in the pack, then you'll have a big problem there. Um, usually, if there's a non-acceptance, you will know it immediately. You'll know it immediately. There will be an outright just get these animals out of here and they would attack them. So if there is a level of growling, um, then that's just a form of communication. So puppies do not produce the... the um, the hormones, the pheromones that to, to, to trigger another dog like that. You know, no, no eight-week-old puppy is going to, you know, really trigger that dominant attack. They're, they don't really even know that much yet. You know, they're just kind of feeling their way around life. And um, so even when we have, you do see dominance in puppies. I have gone and hand-picked dogs for, for work purposes. Uh, and I can definitely tell right from birth. Uh, I can I can see it. Say, wow, you're gonna be a dominant one by like pushing all the puppies off the nipple and you know little low squeaks and growls and stuff like that. Um, but it's really them just trying to figure things out. Uh, puppies will mouth back at their mama and mama will put them right in their place. Um, so if there is behavior like that, there's still no threat. They're babies. So so if your dog is growling at them, I would say it's more communication. If those puppies are alive, they're more. It's more of a communication. Uh, a level of acceptance, like I have to kind of step up to the plate. Now, if, yeah, and when it comes down to structure though, you can communicate, my puppies. Oh, okay, oh, I don't have to take this role. You're gonna take that role over the puppies. So that's where we would, could use the, the possessive nature of that. Um, but I think we're out of time, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. But I wanted, if you think it's useful to share with them what you taught me with Toka about dropping something and Everything is mine until I give him permission to get. You remember that? That's a resource guarding routine. Okay. That um, even I'm a little sketchy about doing that with Toka. You you you, you know I I Toka has yeah Toka no, I did it with Toka. For you. It okay. So Love here's it. the difference there. So here's the difference there. Yeah, I always put little disclosures on things here. If you try anything, um, you know your dog might bite you. 
Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, so the routine that Sharifa is talking about is resource guarding. It is literally me doing a resource guard towards the dog. So you might have a dog that you can give a bone to and you can take that bone away, no problems. He won't resource guard from you. However, if you are his natural parent, you would certainly resource guard from, from him. You would claim your territory and dominance. So the routine that we found suitable for Toka might not be suitable for some dogs, especially if a dog has a massive level of confusion or unhealthy confusion like abuse. Um, if you do this routine, you will just traumatize your dog. So you gotta be really careful with certain routines. Toka is just confident, dominant, his poop don't stink. You know, he is absolutely the king of the world. He is a German shepherd. Completely, absolutely. I can hear the German accent. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. He's gorgeous, a gorgeous dog. I literally, so Toka has excelled above that juvenile stage. Absolutely. When I work with Toka, I think I'm working with Wolf, and I watch myself. I watch my P's and Q's because I'm not part of that pack. I, I, I. Some dogs, I walk into homes and I work with them for five seconds and they're like, family! <laughs> and, they, and they love seeing me and they listen sometimes better to me than their own owners. Um, Toka's like, I will accept you for this moment, but do it again and we're going to have a problem. <laughs> and you've seen that. I did it the first few times and he was awesome. And you remember, I did that last time and he turned at me and he looked at me and I said, Tch. Yeah, I remember. Yes, Toka, you may go. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So he commands a level of respect, which some dogs will when they assume that, again, that alpha leadership role. Mm -hmm. Toka is massive, and he is definitely an aggressive male. But yet, whenever he sees me, it's a big jump and a kiss and a love. And I trust him. I trust him to no extent. I mean, I, I love that dog. However, if I go in there and say, Toka, my house. Oh, he will very quickly tell me, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so that's where that, that routine, I'll, I'll, I could go over that routine really quickly with you, if you, you know, no problem. Um, basically, the theory behind the routine is that I will present an object or a, 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 an area or, or, or food item and then communicate to the dog that it's mine. Uh, much like um, this chair is property of the, of the, of the library. Uh, nobody had to tell me that. Nobody had to tell me that. It's expected for us to know that. Why? Because the chair is within the library. So therefore, if somebody possesses the, 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 the territory, you possess everything within it. It's common knowledge and common society for us to do that. I mean, well, if it was for everybody, we wouldn't have police departments. So, <laughs> um, but it is knowledge that if, if, if it's in the territory, then it's possessed. If this was on the street, I'd say, hey, I can use a chair. It's on the street. Nobody's possessing it, right? Well, maybe I would look around and say, does anybody own this? Um, but again, in here, it is possessed. And I did not need to be told that. Uh, so it's expected, expected. If I said, I'm going to put that chair on my car, all of a sudden, I'm going to get warned by the librarians. Like, hey, wait, what are you doing with our chair? You know, so there's the warning aspect of it. So the expect failed, so therefore the warning now has to happen. And if that fails, well, then correction must be presented. Um, and if it's a loving family or a respectable community, the, the correction will not be violent. Mm -hmm. It'll just be a complete stop, and then correction will proceed. Um, so that's where that 
comes down to the routine that we were working on with the food right, on the floor. Hey, pop that leash a little bit. Um, that has actually back way back in the day has almost landed me in the hospital. And that was Golden Retriever. That wasn't even a German Shepherd. Mm. That was a Golden that greeted me with kisses and love and belly rumps and everything. And I threw food on the floor and I said, hey, tap tap on that leash. And he turned on me like, no, you didn't. And he just, boom, grabbed, shaking. Yeah, and Goldens are huge. Uh, so that was, again, so, yeah, so that's, 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 a, that's a tricky routine. So that, that getting into detail on that routine um, I do have actually, so on my podcast, if you guys do listen to podcasts, uh, you can access it through Patreon. Um, there's uh, monthly free episodes. I do put out dog training episodes, which are at like a $10 a month tier, only because a lot of people really can't afford the 150 per lesson, you know, or in Westchester, Connecticut, I, I get 250 per lesson just because it's a three hour drive. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but, but I put them out now in great detail in, in, uh, small sections so that understanding can be developed massively, but there's always that disclosure when dealing with behavior that like a psychiatrist You open doors you might not want to open right away um, You know you might have an ex a level and you see the, the the issues and then you go in to try to address those issues and now boom You've interrupted that that thing the 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 issue and all of a sudden now they're rising to the occasion And you're creating more aggression to try to treat the element um, so you have to move according to your dog's personality. Uh, I had a dog today where we tried that food routine and that ended within five seconds. I literally threw the food on the ground and the dog just turned on me. Like the food hit the ground and he just went boom right at me. Because again, food hit his territory and he needed everybody clear, even his owners. Um, so that was where we, we did not proceed in that manner. Yeah, he still responds to it though. He does. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yep, that's a level of communication that you gain through your relationship. Yes. yes. Yep, again, Absolutely. yeah, and shepherds are, are classic on that way. Yeah. Very, very classic. You know, they, they are very accepting of, of new people, but when an outsider of the pack who doesn't hold that authority, mm -hmm. they will step up to, to correct. Um, Any other questions? So, uh, we have a lab that um, she always jumped, and went to, when she was a puppy dog training school, and you know, they, they tried to say, well, try this, try this, and she went for eight weeks, and she's great, except for jumping, and she always did it, still does it. And then we see other people walking, friendly dogs, it's like, be careful, they jump. They, you know? And I'm used to it, so I, I know how to handle it. Is, there, is that a behavior issue that you can correct? It sounds like, so if the trainer wasn't able to train it out, so dog training schools are wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. I have a lot of friends that own some beautiful training facilities. Um, if the trainer wasn't able to get it out of the dog, then I will take that outside of the, 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 the ignorant puppy. You know, the puppy who's just like, I'm jumping. And labs have a, they're hunting breeds. They're actually one of the most versatile hunting breeds in the world. Um, that's what I have with my, my labs. I, I, I love them. Um, but you get this cute little lab and he jumps up on your little leg and you say, oh, what a cute little puppy. <laughs> and we reward from seven weeks old, yes. fully developed brain. We reward, we reward, we reward until six months later when the dog is 50 something pounds and he jumps on you like, oh, now this is the problem. Your dog is like, well, for six months of my life, which happened very rapidly, um, you've been condoned. So now why are we not doing this? So it could at that point be a matter of education, which again, a dog trainer could easily teach down and they could teach all these different techniques to turn your back or 
putting your knee up to cause an uncomfortable thing, things like that. Um, yeah, so now your dog went through it and said, oh, I know what you're doing. No, I'm gonna keep doing it. And that's like the dog that knows, come, here's a hot dog, and he comes right over to you. Uh, but without the hot dog, you say, come, and they're like, what you got for me? No? Okay. And they walk away. So we're, we're dealing with choice now. So, so that's where creating a structural issue. So if your lab does that to you, and let's say your dog, your lab jumps on a, um, an alpha male or an alpha female within their natural pack, that alpha male or female would correct them once, and he would turn and jump on everybody else but that one dog. So the corrections become through behavior. Okay. So perfect, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the lecture, and I will certainly post the dates of any future talks, gatherings, or lectures on my Facebook. And please be sure to visit my website at www.thepackanimalpodcast.com. And please feel free to send questions or comments to david at thepackanimalpodcast.com. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more in-depth episodes and interviews, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly access on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash the Pack Animal Podcast and become a supporting pack member today. At the Delta tier, which is $10 a month, uh, you also receive episodes once a month on dog training and get professional dog training advice and behavior advice. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, remember, it does not matter how much time you spend with the wolf. It's within the capacity of your mind to open and become the wolf. <laughs> <laughs>